Well, I first read the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, about 10 years ago. And I remember when, when I first read it, I was super inspired by its vision for just a more holistic and healthy approach uh, to our lives and to our faith to, to live out this idea of emotionally healthy spirituality. Um, and it's been a reference point for me ever since then. And a lot of the, the ideas and, and practices have, have stuck with me over time. However, earlier this summer, when we were reconsidering this resource and wondering whether it would be worth sort of sharing with our community and, and going on this journey uh, together, uh, I reread the book and I was starkly reminded of how far I still have to go in the journey. Um, chapter after chapter, I was having these like, oh yeah, moments of, I remember when I was inspired to, uh, to try to live that way. Well, I think it's actually this last chapter in the journey that was probably still too much of the missing ingredient in my life to have the life change fully stick. Um, and it's where we want to land the conversation today. If we're going to have this series be more than just eight weeks of semi-helpful ideas that we, we loosely remember, you know, 10 years from now. Um, for some review, if you have been tracking with us throughout this series, uh, we started by being confronted with the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, of disconnecting our very real human emotions, especially the difficult emotions, from an authentic relationship with God. Then we considered the importance of kind of growing in, in self-knowledge and self-awareness, to be aware of our emotions, to be able to express them in our relationship with God. From there, we looked at how uh, sometimes we need to go back in order to go forward, to understand our family of origin and family patterns that we've, we've kind of come from so that we can keep growing into the pattern of the family of God. Then we took on the hard conversations of journeying through the walls of life of faith, and then imagining how uh, our, our love and our souls actually can expand, can grow their capacity even in the face of grief and loss. You know, throughout the journey and then a couple of weeks ago, more specifically, we've been exploring and experimenting with the rhythms of the daily office, of pausing regularly throughout the day to, to be attentive to, to God's presence and consider this vision of a weekly Sabbath. And then the last week, Carrie Jones shared with us how this is all intended to add up to a life of love for God and a deep love for others. So the question for us at the end of this series is, how does all of this not just go in one ear and out the other, or inspire our hearts today, um, but become just another series we once did a year or five or 10 from now? And it's in responding to this application, to these questions, where Pete Scazzaro actually ends his book with what he calls going the next step to develop a rule of life. As we want to unpack today what it means to, to go the next step to develop what he calls a rule of life. So I want to unpack this first for us a little bit of what do we even mean by this phrase, this idea of a rule of life. And I'll start by saying that I know uh, for many of us, uh, we don't tend to like the word rule. Uh, it sounds strict. It sounds controlling. Um, maybe some of us have even sought to live by uh, the mantra that rules are made to be, you could say it, broken, right? Um, but this concept of a rule of life, it actually comes from an ancient tradition, an ancient perspective that understood that 
we all tend to have something that kind of rules our life, that becomes the, the guide or structure of our lives. And that whatever that something is significantly determines how our life is going and who we're becoming. In fact, the word rule in this context, uh, it originally comes from the Greek word for trellis, uh, like a, a garden trellis, right? And what does a trellis do? Well, it helps things get off the ground. It helps them grow. It, it helps them bear fruit and flourish season after season after season. It's the system and structure that guides their life, that guides life to become what it is. And that's kind of what we mean by a rule of life. Now, I think for most of us, we haven't necessarily thought about this idea of a guide or a system or structure kind of in our lives. We kind of just go about living and, you know, we may have some values and we hopefully live up to them most of the time, but then we kind of take life as it comes, you know, day by day. But I think this trellis concept, if you think about um, some other more specific aspects of our lives from things like education uh, to fitness, uh, to maybe our finances or household chores or, or our kids' activities, in a lot of the these ways, we often have very intentional, very deliberate sort of plans, structures, and routines to help us, you know, achieve our goal. An example from my life, uh, right now I am coaching uh, my nine-year-old's hockey team. And uh, we have a seasonal plan. We have uh, bi-monthly practice themes. We have weekly practice plans and drills and routines. We are, even have a variety of team mantras, all intended to help us grow, to flourish, to become the best hockey team we can be. This is what rules our team. Um, this is what we mean by a rule of life, a plan, a system, a structure, a trellis that can help us grow and flourish, particularly in emotionally healthy spirituality. So uh, even though we haven't necessarily thought about this kind of in our own lives when it comes to, you know, our, our, maybe our character um, or our well-being or our emotional health or our following of Jesus, as I was reflecting on it this week, I feel like the truth is most of us probably do have something that's ruling our life, even if it's kind of unconscious or unwritten. Here's a few examples I was thinking about and, and see if any of these resonate with you when it comes to what might be currently ruling your life. One might be just kind of the get through the day rule of life. Again, take it day by day, just get through another one, get through another one, get through another one. Maybe one is kind of work for the weekend. That whatever you do kind of in your, your, your work or what keeps you busy or you're responsible for, it's just kind of muscle your way through till you can get to the, the rest or the, the recreation or the fun on the weekend. Maybe your rule of life has been work or, or school. Achievement comes first. And you know what? It can take the priority over anything. It can interrupt anything. We got to keep growing, achieving, succeeding, making money. Maybe it's kind of the opposite. Leisure comes first. It's comfort. It's relaxation. It's rest. It's recreation. How do I make my life as enjoyable as possible? Maybe it's family comes first no matter what. Maybe for you it's people please at all costs that it's actually the expectations of others that ultimately rules your life. 
Or another way to sum it up could be, you know, sleep in, you kind of always are tired, you wake up late, you're already behind the eight ball, you scramble through the day, then you end up staying up late to try to find some enjoyment through screens or sugar or alcohol, and then you repeat the next day and this just becomes your life scramble day after day, feeling like a slave to a rule of life. Because I think the point is, again, whether we've been intentional and aware of it or not, um, something tends to rule our lives and is determining who we're becoming. And the vision for a rule of life at the end of this series is to ask ourselves, what would it take to be more deliberate, more conscious and intentional about making the rule, the structure, the guide, the trellis for our lives, something that helps us grow in who we're meant to be, who we're meant to be in our life with God. What Pete Scazzaro summarizes as ordering our lives in such a way that the love of Christ comes before all else, that that becomes our aim and that we structure our lives towards experiencing that love. Well, as we imagine what that could look like, to give us a bit of a glimpse of that, um, I want to spend a few minutes reflecting on the story of a guy named Daniel in the Old Testament of the Bible. Some of you may be very familiar with the story of Daniel. Others of you may be kind of hearing about him for the first time. Um, but Daniel, when he would have been kind of no more than a teenager, really young man, um, his people the Israelites were conquered and overthrown by the Babylonian Empire. You know, de devastating, traumatic experience as an entire people and, and great destruction and loss. Um, but most of the people, they were then actually exiled to Babylon. And Daniel, as a healthy young guy, along with a number of his friends, uh, they were actually brought into the king's court in Babylon, um, intended to be assimilated into the Babylonian way of life, um, trained and you might almost say reprogrammed into Babylonian culture. Um, and this was very foreign to Daniel's upbringing. And this was now a culture of uh, coercion in con and control in all of its politics. It's about competition and comparison, a lot of status, maneuvering and keeping. Um, it was a culture of uh, consumerism where economic power and achievement was a top priority and one of condemnation where you were willing to uh, judge or call out or throw under the bus anyone you could to get ahead. And all of this created... Um, Sort of, it sort of dangerously threatened Daniel's well-being, emotional health, and his spiritual life, his life with God. But what's incredible about Daniel and what we see in his life and his story is that even at a young age, in these earliest days of being dragged into Babylon, it seemed as though Daniel had a trellis. That he had a structure, a plan, a routine, a rule of life, you might say, to keep him grounded and growing, particularly in his life with God. We see this in the very first chapter when uh, these young men, Daniel and some of his friends, which he had these good, authentic companions, which were, were super helpful. Um, the, the king wanted them to eat the Babylonian diet. 
um, kind of getting them fully into Babylonian culture, believing this would be most fit for, for service and whatnot. And while this, on the one hand, would have completely violated some of Daniel's values and traditions and some of uh, how his diet played a role in his life of faith, um, Daniel also didn't see it as being the healthiest diet to keep him fit for his responsibilities because he was starting to be given tremendous responsibilities. And it says that in Daniel 1 verse 8, Daniel had the capacity to resolve not to defile himself. He knew who he was and how he was going to handle the situation. He was grounded. And it was out of this mature perspective that Daniel was able to not only negotiate with the king's chief of staff and adjusted diet um, on the condition that he would fully stay fit and live up to his responsibilities, uh, but he was actually able to grow and strengthen his relationship and his influence with this chief of staff. It seemed that Daniel's resolve was grounded in knowing who he was in God's image and having companions for the journey that he could navigate these challenging situations. Um, But it wasn't until uh, nearly 60 years later, after many decades has passed and Daniel was a a much uh, older man, that we actually see the greatest pressure in his life and the greatest centerpiece of his rule of life that sustained him. Um, It was around 60 years after Daniel had been dragged into Babylon that then the the Persian Empire uh, overthrew the Babylonian Empire in this cycle of empires defeating empires defeating empires. Um, And Daniel found himself in now another precarious and ever-changing situation. But as he started to get to know the new king, it's interesting, it says Daniel was described and experienced by the king as faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. He had kept growing and establishing this kind of reputation, this kind of character, such that out of his faithfulness, um, the new Persian king found great favor in Daniel. Um, however, the now the, the Persian court officials in this uh, environment of co- competition and comparison, they became very jealous of Daniel. And they wanted to find a way to take him down, to condemn him. Um, And out of some of their familiarity with Daniel's structure, his rule of life, they came to the king with a proposal. Now, this was a culture where people prayed uh, to to many gods. There was kind of lots of forms of worship. But they came to the king and they said, hey, what if we tried for one month, just just 30 days, declaring that uh, no one in the kingdom can pray to any being? You know, whether divine or human or whatever you might pray to, no one can pray to any being except you, the king, except to the king. And the king thought, hey, this, this sounds like it's a pretty good idea. We should probably give this a try. And the king signed an irrevocable law that no one for 30 days can pray to any being except to him with a punishment, if you were to violate this, of being thrown into a den of underfed lions. Now, this was all a trap. Um, set by these jealous court officials to try to condemn Daniel because they were familiar with his life, his rule of life, his prayer life. And I think under the circumstances, no one would have blamed Daniel um, to maybe make a little bit of an adjustment to his routine and his rule of life just for one measly month, mostly so that he could, you know, maintain his position of, of, of influence and so God could continue using him in the Persian kingdom. But listen to what we read in Daniel 6, verse 10, in Daniel's response. It says, But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down, listen to this, it says, as usual, 
in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day. And I love how it says this, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Friends, under um, tremendous pressure um, and in the face of what would have been paralyzing fear, Daniel had so established a trellis for his life, a, a structure that had grounded him in his identity uh, in relationship with God and that had created these capacities to have healthy uh, relationships, loving relationships with others, that even in the face of his greatest threat, he couldn't help but continue uh, to live into his trellis that anchored his life in the presence of God and gave him peace in such a devastating and terrifying situation. And if you know the rest of the story, Daniel was caught by these other palace officials. Um, and even though at that point it kind of disturbed the king because he hadn't realized this routine in Daniel's life because this law was irrevocable, Daniel was, was thrown into this den of lions. Um, but as the stories told, as Daniel continued to pray throughout the night, he was supernaturally protected and rescued until he emerged, was almost resurrected from this den of lions safely the next day. All of which is actually this foreshadow story to the life, death, and resurrection which, of Jesus, which makes this entire life of emotional well-being and emotional health possible. That's what it looks like to uh, live into a rule of life that centers your life on a love for God and a love for others, creating health, well-being, and peace, even in the, in the face of tremendous difficulty. So the question for us is, what about us? What about you? Um, what's been ruling your life and how is it going? Um, what do you usually do and what is it usually producing in your life? And what could it look like for us to take some steps out of this series where we actually take some of what we've learned and, and rearrange our lives to live into a structure, a trellis that can grow us even deeper into our love for God and a love for others. Um, I want to put up just sort of a sample visual of a rule of life worksheet that comes along with these emotionally healthy spirituality resources. Um, you could spend some time with this this week. It's in our, our conversation starters guide, either personally or with your family or, or in your small group. Um, but it makes it, it invites us to consider in rhythms of prayer and rest and in our relationships and friendships and in our work, what are some of the habits the practices, the routines that we want to build in or we maybe want to carve out or we want to consider uh, committing to uh, or, or continuing to explore so that we can grow in being people that really slow down to rest and recover in the ways that we're designed to. Um, we're people that have enduring and healthy, authentic friendships that even when they experience conflict, we can enter that conflict and make peace together. Um, that we have a relationship with our work where we want to use our gifts and our talents and our strengths to make a difference in the world, but respect kind of our limits of who God has made us to be and where we find ourselves positioned. And how all of this can be deeply anchored in a life of prayer, 
a life of connecting with God, you know, in personal daily ways and in regular communal ways together, where our life flows from this love for God and this love for people, experiencing emotionally healthy spirituality in an ever-growing, ever-changing way. When you think about some of these routines, I ask you again, you know, what has been ruling your life? Maybe you've been subscribing to the, the work comes first, success matters most. You know, they who die with the most toys wins kind of rule of life. If that's you, like, honestly, how is that going for you? Or maybe for you, uh, it's been, you know, work for the weekend, party while you can, live for the moment. But are you finding purpose in it? Maybe it's family comes first no matter what. My, my, my kids' achievements and successes are what matters most no matter how full the calendar is. Um, but how is your soul? Is there other things you're missing out on? Maybe in your relationships, it's been, you know, when, when the going gets tough, relationships get hard, it's just kind of time to, to move on. But what is that doing to the track record of your friendships and your experience authentic, meaningful friendship? Or maybe... You've tried to subscribe to like the religious rule of life, or you've tried to, to check all the boxes, do all the things, you know, read all the right stuff, pray all the prayers, attend all the, the services and programs, follow all the rules, but it's all been adding up to be way more exhausting and way less healthy than you would have expected. What do you want to take away from this series? What step do you want to take? What do you want to tweak and change to be able to live into a life, a structure, a trellis that produces a more emotionally healthy, holistic, flourishing experience of faith? When confronting some of the false rules of life of his day, um, Jesus said this, and I want us to hear this invitation at the close of this series. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? In whatever's been ruling your life, is it making you tired? Is it wearing you out? Are you even burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll, I'll show you how to take a real rest. That'll get built into your life. And then Jesus says, walk with me and work with me. I'll show you how to work. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. In all of it, Jesus says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Friends, that is the invitation. The good news at the end of this series and as we imagine how we could build more of this structure into our lives, is at the end of the day, it's not about um, rules to enforce in our lives, but about a person to follow, a way to live, the way of Jesus, organizing, ordering, and arranging our lives to live into the way of Jesus and experience the unforced rhythms of grace, the lightness and the freedom and the abundance that Jesus has for us. But the truth is, I, I don't think we'll know how light and free this way of life is until we try it. Until we trust Jesus enough to take steps, to make rearrangements, to tweak things in how our lives are organized now. I mentioned uh, off the bat uh, that when I reread 
the book this summer, I was confronted with how uh, this rule of life arrangement was probably still too much of the missing ingredient for some of this kind of life change in my life. And in the spirit of, you know, participating in these steps, uh, there's actually a an element I had considered adding to my rule of life, my routine a couple of years ago, had come on my heart. It, it's the, the routine of meeting with a spiritual director. Now you may not know what a spiritual director is. It's not necessarily something we would all access, um, but I'd best describe it as this is a, a trained and qualified wise counselor who kind of uh, is somewhere between an, an outside pastor in your life and a therapist and kind of play that kind of role. A couple of years ago, I thought I, this is something I'd probably really benefit from and should probably explore, try to add to my routine. But at the time, my actual rule of life, busyness, which too often rules my life, sort of took over and, uh, and I never followed through on it. Until heading into this season, when I recognized I needed to keep taking some of these steps keep making some rearrangements if this stuff's gonna keep growing and sticking in my life. And a month ago, I had my first ever appointment with a spiritual director and uh, my second just this past week. And honestly, while it would be an overstatement to say that my life has suddenly changed through these two appointments, um, it has been amazing, maybe especially in this season, how refreshing and renewing that space for prayer and an outside and trained voice and perspective has been to listen and to speak into um, God's spirit and God's activity in my life. Um, and it's made me wonder if this is something I actually add to my rule of life, if I make the adjustments necessary to make this a pattern, a habit, a trellis, how might it be a part of one of the ways my life is changed a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. That's my hope and my prayer for all of us in this series, that we would take a step a little further into this way of life, into the structure, into this rule of life, not just experiencing emotionally healthy spirituality, but living more fully into the light and free way of Jesus. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much um, that you have made us to be people who flourish. You have made us to be people who are well, who are whole, who are healed and healing and participating in sharing that and experiencing that with others. Thank you for this journey we have been on to learn some ways we can grow in that, to be given some tools, some vision, some perspective. Um, thank you that now you invite us to keep walking in this way, to keep accepting your invitation to follow you in the way of the unforced rhythms of grace. How badly our souls need that. How badly we want that. Help us to day by day, open ourselves up and organize our lives around you to be slowly but surely led into more of that life together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.